encourage you to be generous with your giving today as we have heard that these works are certainly worthy, uh, well-documented, well-run and managed, and good use of the funds that we provide. You guys have that slide deck? No. <laughs> I want you to imagine behind me a picture of a tree. <clears throat> you know, of all the fun and festive kinds of things that we do here at the MCOC family, Lumberjack Sunday is becoming one of our favorite traditions, and uh, certainly it's a favorite for me. I, I look forward to it and enjoy it. It's coming up very soon. It's going to be the first Sunday in May, which I think is the 7th of May. And, uh, and if you've not been a part of Lumberjack Sunday, you're definitely going to want to put that on your calendar and be a part of that with us because it is a, a really, really fun event. You know, this year Bishop made this suggestion to me. He said, you know, as we lead into Lumberjack Sunday, I've got an idea for a sermon series. I've got an idea for a sermon series. And, and he presented it in kind of an intriguing way. Here's, here's what he said. I don't know the exact words, but this is a paraphrase of the conversation that we said. He said, hey, Dad, do you know what the third most common topic in the Bible is? After people and God? No, son, I don't. Do you know what's found on the first page of the Old Testament, the first page of the New Testament, and the last page in the Bible? No, son, I don't. Hey, Dad, do you know the topic that is discussed on average every third page in the entire Bible? By this point, you know my answer. No, son. No, son, I don't. Hey, Dad, do you know the, top, the object that every major player in the Old Testament is associated with and almost every single event in the entire Bible? We have a lot of these conversations. Finally, when he got done with this big buildup, he said to me, the answer is trees. Trees. The third most common topic in the entire Bible is the subject of trees. It is the source of illustrations and teachings. It is the source of symbolism and all kinds of ideas. And so many things are presented through the language of trees. In fact, I did some reading on this because I, I kind of, not that I don't believe him, but I kind of thought, you're, you're over-dramatizing this. It's not as big a deal as you're making it out to be. I'm just sure this isn't true. But it's really an amazing thing when you stop to think about it. A little digging will find some interesting things. For example, uh, Noah is associated with the olive tree because he was brought an olive branch. Abraham is associated with the oak tree because he famously talked with God under the oaks of Mamre. Uh, Moses is well known because of his unnamed burning bush. Joseph the patriarch was nicknamed in, in the uh, Israelite history as the tree. You have all of these illustrations of people associated with trees. You also have stories around trees. You've got wee little man Zacchaeus who climbed up in one. You've got Jesus' favorite spot to go camping is under the trees in the Mount of Olives. You have the wonderful analogy that Paul gives of trees where he talks about all of us as branches that are taken off of a wild tree and grafted in to God's family. So many beautiful teachings and stories about the idea of trees, and that doesn't even hit the big three. You know, when you talk about the big three, you've got the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you've got the tree of life, and most poignantly, you have the tree, the cross on which Jesus died to pay the price for our sins. 
I got to admit to you, in about seven minutes of some Google searches, I was sold on Bishop's idea. And so for the next few weeks, as we lead up to Lumberjack Sunday, we're going to be looking at lessons that are featuring trees. Lessons under the shade tree. Today, the first installment in this series of lessons revolves around a tree that's little known. Uh, it's a little known tree and a little known character of the Bible that is connected with this particular tree. The man we're going to be talking about is the man Amos. And the tree that he is associated with is the sycamore fig tree. We read in the opening lines of Amos's book, the, the prophet Amos, who is the author of the book that bears his name, tells us in the opening verses that he was a shepherd. He tells us a few chapters later that he also supplemented that income by being a person who kept sycamore figs, an interesting way to describe your profession. Well, the idea is here that Amos, as we come to know him, is probably a very uneducated man. He's a very simple man. He doesn't come from any kind of wealth. In fact, he comes from great poverty. He is the lowest possible rung of the socioeconomic ladder. He's a sheep keeper. He's not a sheep owner. He just simply gets day wages to watch somebody else's sheep. And this idea of being a keeper of figs, well, I got to tell you, that led me down a serious rabbit hole this week. And I learned more about the sycamore fig tree than any non-botanist should ever, ever, ever know about the sycamore fig tree. And while I can talk to you about it for 25 minutes, I'm just going to give you a really quick little summary about some things that I found to be particularly fascinating about this beautiful, beautiful tree. The fruit of the sycamore fig in those days was something that they enjoyed very much. We don't really eat that fig anymore. We have better figs today than that. But it was a very, very, um, it was a very enjoyable treat that they would cultivate and grow. But it has a weird relationship. The sycamore fig has a symbiotic relationship with a wasp. A very specific wasp. This one wasp lays its larva inside the bud of the sycamore fig. And if the wasp doesn't do that, it can't score, cut, gash the outer cover of the, uh, the fruit, and it never ripens. So, no wasp, no fruit. Oh, hey, look at there. There's a sycamore fig tree. It snuck up on me. Has that been up there this whole time, and I just now... Okay, good. All right, good. It just came up. The... Um, but so this wasp, this wasp has this very important role because the wasp has to, it's technically called uh, oviposit. It has to oviposit its larva into the developing fig. And without it, it can't ripen. Well, that little detail aside, it goes back a long way. In southern Africa, this was a very prominent tree. It was very common back then. It's a beautiful tree. You can see it has gorgeous shade. It's just, it's used in ornamentals. It's used in gardens. And Egypt, the height of prominence. At the height of their prominence, the Egyptian pharaohs decided this would be a beautiful tree to line all their streets with, to line all their roads and pathways, all their marketplaces, their big ornamental gardens. In Egypt, it became like the big thing to import these trees. And with the trees came the wasp. And with the wasp came the fig. And with the fig came a beautiful new tasty treat that the Egyptians enjoyed very, very much. And they did so all over Egypt. Huge orchards until a terrible thing happened. The wasp became extinct in Egypt. Suddenly, no wasp, no fig. No fig, no treat. And so, the industrious Egyptians developed a very slow and very tedious and very low-paying way 
to manually go in individually and nick the outer skin of every single little tiny fig. What an incredibly tedious and terrible job to have. And thus is the profession of our man Amos, a tender of figs. Today, if you go to Palestine, modern-day Israel, you'll still see these trees all over the place. They still line the roads, they still line the pathways, they're still found in the marketplaces, they're still found in ornamental gardens, but we don't really eat the figs anymore, like I once said. But this tree is more than just the tree of Amos. <coughs> we read in Scripture that Jesus was met by a man named Philip. And Philip was so enamored with Jesus and knew that Jesus was the Messiah, and he immediately went to find his friend Nathanael. And he told his friend Nathanael, I have found the one, Jesus, the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. Nathanael comes to meet Jesus, and Jesus says, I already know you. I've already seen you. I saw you when you were under the fig tree. I already told you that the other place this story, this tree plays in is a wee little man who climbed up into this tree to see Jesus walking by, only to have him called down and taken to lunch. Botany lesson aside, story of wasps and ovipositing done, let's get into the story of Amos. <clears throat> oh, sorry. There we go. <clears throat> Amos came along at a very important and very difficult time in the history of God's people. The nation of Israel was at a, well, Dick, Dickinson would, uh, <clears throat> Dickens would say that it was kind of a best of times, worst of times. The nation of Israel was in a situation like this. The rich had never been richer, had never had it easier, had never had it better. The poor had never had it worse, never been more heartless and oppressed. The religious practices of the day had never been more practiced, more rehearsed, more beautiful, more pompous, more dis uh, beautiful display, and they had never in history been so empty and so hypocritical and so shallow, and so meaningless to God. On the surface, you look at these people and you say, these are God's people, and they're, they're living in a fair and just society where everyone is cared for, but in reality, it was far from that. The poor were oppressed, the marginalized, the impoverished, the outcast never received justice, and no one was allowed to experience a better life than the one they were born into. Into this scene, the best of times, worst of times, God sent two prophets. And these two prophets were also as polar opposites as they could be in so many ways. One was Amos and one was Isaiah. Amos, poor, shepherd, fig keeper, unimportant, uneducated. Isaiah, royal blood, aristocracy the height of society, the greatest of education. Amos went to Israel. Isaiah went to Judah. Amos is mostly forgotten today. Isaiah is the most quoted prophet of the whole Old Testament. Amos called to a very, very short ministry time. Isaiah had a prophetic ministry that went for decades. But they had some things in common. They both spoke out about the sinfulness of their people. They're both characterized by their courage, by their boldness. They were both ostracized for their message. And both called for the people to repent 
to renew, to change, to reconcile with God, and to be right with one another. Their messages had some similarities, but their messages also had some different directions, and one of those directions was the theme around which they, called, they were called by God to address. Namely, for Amos, it was the theme of injustice. It was the theme of injustice. Even today, Amos is still a treasured voice when it comes to, to social justice, when it comes to civil um, goodness and civil righteousness and the underpinnings of society in fair and just ways. It's interesting, I'm very active with our local chapter, the NAACP, of which I've been a member for many years, and almost every single one of our monthly meetings, the opening prayer or the closing prayer or both, will include quotations from the book of Amos. Quotations that speak of how it is that the poor should be treated, the people who don't have a voice, the people who are underprivileged, the people who no one else is standing up for. What do we do for the people like this? And in doing so, he condemns Israel for the heartless way that they're going about life. A couple of those themes real quickly. In chapter 2, verse 6, the book of Amos says, They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. The greed of the people has gotten so incredibly bad that they sell even the good people. They don't see people as people. They see people as product. They see people as, as a means by which to make money. And it says the good people they sell for a high price, silver, and the poor they sell for the price of a pair of shoes. You see, these people are so eaten up with greed that neither the righteousness of a person inspires any compassion nor does the poverty of a person inspire any compassion because they only see other people as a means by which to make money. It also says that they are not pursuing justice but obscuring the opportunity for people to find justice and fairness. In chapter 2, verse 7, Amos says, they obstruct the path of the needy. In chapter 5, verse 12, they deprive the poor of justice at the city gates. These lines refer to the fact that these people are taken advantage of. These people who have so little find it impossible to pursue justice, to improve their lot in life. You know, the reality is that when you're penniless and powerless, Justice is even harder to come by. Think about it today in our modern world. Think about how much it costs, how much resources are involved to pursue a legal case, to, to get research and, and to, to, to find an attorney and to pay court fees. I mean, honestly, justice in our day is hard. It's hard if you have money. Imagine how difficult it was in these days for people who had no voice and had no money. But if that wasn't enough, listen to this hypocrisy. Chapter 4, sarcastically, with just dripping sarcasm, he says this, Bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes every three years. Burn your leavened bread as a thank offering. Brag about your free will offerings. Boast about them, you Israelites, for this is the thing you love to do. The prophet points out that these are a people of hypocrisy. All these religious practices are showy and empty and they're, they're, the, the pomp and the circumstance. They love to be seen bi giving big gifts. They love to parade their gifts through the streets. They love all the attention that they get from following their religious practices, but in reality, their heart is so far from God. It's empty. 
It's meaningless. One last one. They become so self-absorbed that they see nothing but their own pleasure. Chapter 6. You lie on beds adorned with ivory. You lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. You strum away on your harps like David. You improvise on musical instruments. You drink your wine by the bowl full and you use the finest lotions. Listen, but you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. He says, you, you wealthy and callous and empty and blind people, you have so much but all you pursue is your pleasure. The only thing you live for is your hedonistic enjoyment of whatever you have. You don't pay attention to the fact that all around you people are hurting, that people are in need, that people are suffering, that people aren't finding justice. And he condemns the people for being so wrapped up in their own pleasure that they didn't see the hardships of others. So he calls them to something different. And in what's probably some of the most famous passages from these scriptures, things like this, chapter 5 and verse 14. Pursue good and not evil, so that you may live, and the Lord, the God of armies, will be with you as you have claimed he is. As you have claimed he is. They love to claim that God was with them, but their actions did not show it. He said, make a change. Do something new. Do something different. Continuing in that same reading, he says in verse 15, Hate evil and love good. Establish justice in the city gate. Later in verse 24 of the same chapter, my favorite verse from Amos, Let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. The appeal is made. He says, people, you got to stop. Stop the greed. Stop the injustice. Stop loving things and using people. Start loving people and using things. Start giving where you're taking. Start sharing where you're hoarding. Start caring where you're oppressing. His was no small task. And his was no insignificant mission. You know... The more I read, the more I studied, the more I came to identify some amazing qualities in the life of this man. In my notes, I wrote it this way. Amos was a man with a strong and yet soft heart, clear eyes, simple mind, modest outlook. Strong heart, courageous, bold. Soft heart, compassionate. Caring, clear eyes. He identified what was going on in the world around him. He saw the injustice for what it was. Simple mind. He understood what needed to happen. He had a logical way to move forward. Modest outlook. Humble. He never claimed the titles. He never sought the accolades. And it must not have been easy for him. It must not have been easy for him to take on the wealthy and the powerful. It must not have been easy for him to take on the well-connected of his day. In one example, in chapter 7, uh, Amaziah, who comes from the king, and he comes to accuse Amos, and he attacks him. In verse 10, it says this, Amaziah the prophet, I'm sorry, Amaziah the priest of Bethel sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Amos is raising a conspiracy against you. 
And he's doing it in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear his words. This is what Amos is saying. Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will go into exile away from their native land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Get out, you seer. Go back to your land of Judah. Earn your bread over there. Do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy anymore at Bethel because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Amos answered, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd who cared for sycamore trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and he said to me, Go prophesy to my people. Here we have this picture of, 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 of Amos with, with courage and humility, courage to stand in the face of opposition and proclaim boldly what God has said, humility to say, I didn't want this job, I didn't pursue this title, I've never been a prophet, I've never been a, the son of a prophet. I'm simply a humble man who's doing what God sent me to do. Strong heart, humble spirit. There's something there for me. There's something in that for you. What about those clear eyes? What about that compassionate spirit? Listen to Amos chapter 5 as he pours his heart out. Hear this word, Israel, this lament that I take up concerning you. Fallen is the virgin Israel, never to rise again, deserted in her own land with no one to lift her up. This is what the sovereign Lord says to Israel. Your city that marches out a thousand strong will only have a hundred left. Your town that marches out a hundred strong will only have ten he looks out and he hears what God is saying. God says there's hard times coming for Israel. And he pours his heart out. He pleads with Israel. Oh, I'm heartbroken. Please don't let this happen. He has such clear eyes. He recognizes that this is a hardship ahead of the people. And his heart breaks. When's the last time? When's the last time we've seen the world around us for the heartbreak? We've looked at the world around us and we've said, Oh my goodness, the terrible things that are going on. My heart breaks for people. My heart breaks for injustice. My heart breaks for poverty. He had clear eyes. He had a tender heart. And he had a sharp mind. He looked at the situation around him and he said, you know what, the answer is not difficult. The answer is not hard. Stop doing that. Start doing this. Stop doing wrong. Start doing good. Stop treating people unfairly. Start treating people right. Stop hoarding. Start sharing. You know, the more that I looked at this man, Amos, this week, the more that I identified these qualities and thought about all that he embodied, the more it made me think of the importance of this week. Mission Sunday. Because can I suggest to you that these qualities are exactly the qualities I would look for in a missionary? Courage, compassion, clarity, decisiveness, humility. Isn't that what we want on our mission fields? Isn't that the kind of man and woman that we want out there boldly proclaiming Christ? Isn't that exactly what we want to support? But here's the question that's closer to home. Isn't this exactly what we're supposed to be? Why are these qualities that are reserved for the prophets of old? Why are these qualities that are reserved for missionaries on foreign fields? Aren't these exactly the qualities that God calls us to have? 
Aren't these the qualities we should be developing in ourselves? Aren't these the qualities we should be striving for? I wonder how we're doing in these qualities. How would you evaluate yourself in courage, compassion, clarity, decisiveness, humility? I wonder which ones you could pick out this week to talk to God about. I've got mine. I know exactly what God and I are going to talk about a lot this week. I see clearly the areas of my life that I need help. I'm not good here, God. What about you? You know, we may not be called away to some foreign field. We may not be called to far shores to preach the gospel. But every single day you and I go into a mission field. Every day that we go to school, every day that we go to work, every day that we interact with the community, that we speak with our neighbors, that we go to sports teams and participate in clubs, we put ourselves in a position of presenting an opportunity, of having an opportunity to present Jesus Christ. These are great qualities for an Old Testament prophet. These are great qualities for a modern-day missionary. And these are the qualities that I need to develop, and you do too. Amos's message was a hard one, but it finishes with a beautiful, positive tone and one last possible tree reference. Chapter 9, he closes his book. In that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair his broken walls and restore its ruins, and it will be rebuilt as it used to be so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and the nations that bear my name will do these things. The days are coming, says the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one tending grapes. Now, what that means is that they're going to be harvesting faster than they can sow. They're going to be trampling grapes faster than they can gather them. It's a time of renewal. It's a time of revitalization. God says it's coming New wine will drip from the mountains. It will flow from the hills. I will bring my people Israel back. They will rebuild the ruined cities. They will live in them and plant vineyards and drink wine and make gardens and eat their fruit. They will, I will plant Israel in their own land, never to be uprooted from the land I have given them. Thus says the Lord, your God. Let's pray. Dear God, we stand before the example of this man, Amos, this morning. And we acknowledge your power in his life to bring about courage and compassion, decisiveness and clarity, humility. And we see that these are qualities that you are desiring to bring out and develop in us. God, we ask for open hearts and open minds this week as we plead with you to grow us in these areas. Show us where we need to work. Show us where we need to learn. Give us a sense of courage that stands for what's right. Give us a sense of compassion that hurts for the, the injustice and the, and, and the wrong around us. Give us clear minds that sees what needs to be done and eyes that recognize its reality. Give us humble spirits that aren't worried about attention we gather for us, but the light that we can shine on your glory. Help us to be more like Amos. It's in your son's name that we pray.
You know, this morning as we uh, close this time together, it's with great joy that we always have this moment at the end of a service to be able to let you know that if there's any way at all that we as a church family can be of support to you, we want to be. Maybe there's a prayer request that you have. Maybe there's a need. Already this morning, two different people have shared with me something that they would like prayed for or mentioned or a need that they have. And what a joy it is that your leaders, we share to be able to meet in the back of this room and, and welcome you. But there is no joy that brings, there is nothing that brings us greater joy than someone who comes forward to say, I want to take the next step in my journey with Jesus. And maybe you've been journeying with Jesus for many years and we can support you and walk alongside you and encourage you. Maybe you've never started that journey. And it begins by recognizing your need for Jesus Christ in your life. That he died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And that he calls us to name him as Lord. Join him in the waters of baptism. And be added to his family. However we can help you this morning, we want you to know that we stand ready to do so. Won't you please come and join us if you have any need as we stand and sing.